Hi, y'all. Welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Sarah Shackett, Associate Craft Editor over at IndieWire, and I have the delightful pleasure this week of bringing you a conversation with filmmaker Ty West, director of X earlier this year, and now it's horror sister prequel movie, Pearl. If X was an ode to uh, films of the 70s, Pearl is an ode to old Hollywood glamour, and uh, Ty gets into how he conceptualized the film and then achieved that sort of old Hollywood look with a horror twist. Uh, It's an amazingly fun conversation. Ty is incredibly knowledgeable about film and about how film can manipulate our emotions. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Ty West. Congrats on just an, a rad movie. I've, I've watched it twice now and had a ball. The first time with it, the second time like with it and watching my friends in the theater audience react, it's, it's a good time. The movie has been described kind of in its in its sort of look and 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 feel is kind of like a a Serkian kind of cinemascope melodrama kind of a vibe, and I'm curious like what about like films like Lever to Heaven felt like it was a good fit for this story? Well, it started. Um, I mean, the whole thing started in a much less uh, technically inspired way. It came from a a, a a possibility to make two movies because we had built this whole infrastructure in a place where. You know, at the time, no one else in the world could make a movie and we could. And it felt like a real, like, fortunate scenario for us. And I was so grateful to that that I was like, well, how do we make the most of this? How do we not waste any of this because we're so fortunate to be here? So that's kind of where it initially began. And then when it started to become a movie about, like, young Pearl and about her, like, aspirations and her dreams, you know, X was very much a movie that was the characters were affected by and inspired by filmmaking. And in the case of that movie, it was, like, independent like auteurish uh, exploitation, kind of do-it-yourself kind of filmmaking. And it was very entrepreneurial, but that didn't really make sense for um, Pearl as a character. So for her, I felt like she would be more, you know, influenced and sort of uh, affected by the glitz and glamour that the ideas of being part of the movie business, you know, um, could possibly give you. And, And someone who didn't like her life as it was, like in Maxine's case, she was doing something about it by being part of this, like small business of making a movie to launch herself. Whereas Pearl was, was looking at sort of like more from the outside and sort of, you know, there was more wonder and it was less um, pragmatic. And to me, that just sort of made me think of when I was thinking of cinema and, and in the case of X, I was thinking about this sort of 1970s Americana type cinema. I was thinking about well, what cinema, when I picture Pearl's story, do I picture? And, um, and I just thought of that sort of golden age of Hollywood and the sort of traditional like glitz and glamour of showbiz and the, and, and the way that like formal movies were made. And, um, you know, that aesthetic is appealing to me aside from just the story, but they sort of like, you know, the roads kind of met with those two ideas. And, and that's that's what kind of kicked it off. Yeah, it makes sense because it's not like it. It would be hard to homage something in 1919 you're not going to do like a griffith like ooh everyone's in the same space it's so innovative um and you know it's much more more judy garland and and beautiful um and wholesome which is an interesting contrast to obviously everything that happens um and i i'm curious like once you sort of had that in your head of like this is a good fit for the character how you sort of built kind of 
there's a tension between a lot of the the look of the film and the the conflicts that are going on for Pearl and these sort of impulses that she has and is wrestling with. Um, and I'm curious sort of what visual opportunities arose for you out of that. I mean, I think the contrast was a big part of it. Like you said, I think for me, knowing that this story was, um, it was going to be a psychological story, but it was also going to be quite demented at times. And, um, you know, having this sort of, as you said, wholesome imagery or this like childlike imagery and this Disney-like and this pristine-like imagery, it felt a way to to take something that could be very retro feeling and have it feel modern again because it, it just felt fresh because I had not seen, I, I don't know if I've never seen it, but I certainly very rarely have seen anything where um, a, an aesthetic like this uh, is applied to a story like this. And that just seemed like inspiring and that seemed like a good reason to sort of get up in the morning and be excited to do it and i think that just made it just kind of added another layer to the film that that otherwise like if we had made the film at one point we thought about doing it in this sort of black and white german expressionism ah. of the day kind of thing mm-hmm. um and the main driver of that it was it would have been cheaper because we would have not had to paint anything any color everything would have been gray we would have been halfway there already right and we wouldn't we wouldn't have had to spruce everything up as much so it was it was cost effective to do it that way and at the time i was looking for anything that would make the movie you know cost effective because it just made the the idea of doing it even more appealing because it was like well the movie's really on sale, so it would be foolish not to do it. Um, but, you know, credit to A24, they, they quite liked the movie as it was. And so they were they were more um, aligned with, like, doing it, quote-unquote, the right way rather than just trying to save a few extra bucks. And that was great because the movie's much better for it. Absolutely. I'd love to get into kind of, like, the, the technical aspects of how you guys achieve... Because it looks breathtakingly close to actual Technicolor. Um, and so I'm curious both like sort of how you approached creating like the color separation needed to, to like actually make that happen and just kind of like, was there anything that you you sort of learned about uh, that aesthetic in the process of doing this? Yeah, I mean, the three strip color, three strip technicolor process is, is a very unique thing. Um, and you, you kind of really can't recreate it without sort of using it and we weren't using it. So, you know, you can get only so close. Um, but, you know, really like there's only so much you can do sort of like, in the color correct, like you can turn up the saturation and you can do things like that. And, but, and it helps, but it's never going to get you there. What's going to get you there is like what's in front of the camera. And so we just made a huge effort with like the costumes and the production design and everything to be really mindful of the palette and to be mindful of how all the colors went together. And that like in the contrast ratio of the lighting and how we were doing it, we just had to be very particular that what we were photographing like looked like it no matter what. And then you can embellish it. You know, you can embellish it in the color correct. But that's basically what we did. I mean, we did build in the color correction like a, a three-strip kind of thing that sort of mimics the separation, but it only does so much. I mean, really what was like, if you looked at the dailies and you looked at the final version, the final version is more vibrant, but it's this, it's not that much more vibrant. That's wild. Were there any um, of things that you were able to do in creating like a Technicolor-friendly set that maybe weren't weren't planned or or were there challenges that you had to work out to sort of make that happen i mean it was all a challenge in its own way because it was such a unique thing to be doing even just 1918 is a weird time to make a movie so every prop felt a little strange and every you know from having model t's to everything it was very and to come off of x like three weeks earlier and be sort of very entrenched in the 1970s 
it was a real like like lucid dream type thing to switch gears like that. Um, but you know, I think once you really commit to the to the era, I mean, the era goes a long way. You know, it wasn't like they were front, in front of computers yeah. when it was looking like that. So, you know, once you put people in costumes and and, and hairstyles and things like that, it, it starts to become that world. But yeah, I mean, it's a very tedious esoteric process of things that you're like, oh, that's just not quite right, you know? And so you're always trying to get it just a little, like, is that red, red enough? You know, I think the that joke dress, have yeah. is it, or even like the barn, for instance, if you looked at our office and you saw all the paint swatches on the wall for the barn, it essentially was probably like 10 of the exact same red swatch, but like we would sit there in front of it, like pondering, like, hmm, I don't know. It, might, it was like that scene in American Psycho with the business cards. You know, it was like you were obsessing over these like very idiosyncratic things, but it made a difference because you really did have to get it just right for it to feel a certain way. No, absolutely. And like I I, I imagine like the lighting as well, because there's a lot of, of story that's told with like when she's in light and when she's in shadow and kind of how how she moves through that space. It's it's remarkable. That seems like it involved a lot of obsessive planning. It was. I mean, we that that is what the process is, is just obsessive planning. So, I mean, I've worked with the same people for so long. So Mel Gauger, the costume designer, and Tom, the production designer, and Elliot, the DP. And we had just come off a movie. I mean, we had just prepped and shot a movie, like, immediately prior. So yeah. everyone, everyone was pretty sharp, and everybody was pretty ready to, like, pivot. And so it was definitely, like, a little bit of a learning curve in the very, very beginning. But once you, like I said, once you start putting, like, a Model T on a dirt road with a person in that outfit in it, it just like it snowballs from there. Were there any, um, I mean, this may have happened like too quickly, uh, but I'm curious if there were any sort of like films that you you watched to kind of prep for this or, or movies that you had in your mind that kind of look like this, that you were trying to not necessarily emulate, but like pick out aspects from? Not so particular. Um, we certainly had a lot of like, uh, stills from movies on the wall in the mm-hmm. office. So that way when people would walk in the office, they, we did the same thing for X. You could look at a big wall of imagery and kind of get the world you were in. Mm-hmm. And that could have been everything from Wizard of Oz to the Red Shoes to, you know, wh- whatever. But, right. um, you know, I think that, like, I probably, when we finished X, told Mia just as a palate cleanser to watch, like, Wizard of Oz and maybe What Happened to Baby Jane, sure. you know, and, 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 like, just as a we're we're it's just to get all the 1970s get Tulane Blacktop out of your head you know what I mean just like <laughs> like cleanse the palate but you can never um, get James Taylor out of your head but. you can't um you do the best you can but uh I think that and then yeah for like from a technical standpoint for for production design and costume design and and, and cinematography we certainly had everything from like you know, if you have a an image of Gone with the Wind on the wall and you look at the windows and the windows clearly have fake backdrops behind them and fake trees and stuff, mm-hmm. you look at that and you start to think, oh, could we, could we go that far? Could we put fake branches out the window and let's try that and not try that? And so it just was a way to kind of keep you in the world so that you, you know, because um, you couldn't go out in your regular life and be particularly inspired by it. You had to kind of be inspired by it through a palette of, of, of cinema in a way. Right. And there's something that's like, both very obviously artificial, um, but also incredibly magnetic and engrossing about the look of those things. Um, that that just weirdly feels like it it works for this character. And I wanted to to sort of touch on that. Is is this was a, a collaborative experience very much with Mia? And I'm curious, sort of, if some of those like long psychological glimpses that we get at Pearl sort of arose out of out of writing this with uh with your star or 
or whether that was kind of it was kind of always going to be a character study and just you guys were able to go deep on it. It was always going to be that. And I had had the idea prior to telling movie uh, Mia about the movie. And then when I first told her about it, I really had to ask her, like, would you be willing to stick around for another three months to make another movie? Because if she if she couldn't or wouldn't, then there was no movie. And so she was very eager to, to say yes to that, which was great. And so then it, I just was like, well, since you're playing Pearl already and I haven't started writing this yet, like we should we should collaborate from the very conception of it and we should like write it together because you know, when we were doing X, you meet Pearl very late in her life and you don't learn that much about her. Like you get glimpses of it, but you don't learn specifics about her. And she's also kind of the villain in the movie. So when it became an idea to make her the star of a movie, um, you know, her backstory, I already had more or less fleshed out because when I cast Mia, if she was going to ask me something about who Pearl was or where Pearl came from, I didn't want to just shrug my yeah, shoulders. Yeah, you need and be to like, know. Yeah, like I was like, we need, it may not be in the movie, but we need to know and it will inform your, your decisions and whatnot. So it was like the jumping off point already existed and we had been talking about her as a, as a person and as a character already. So it just made sense to just collaborate together on that. Um, but it was always meant to be a very like psychological character study. So, cause I didn't want to make anything that was similar to X. Like I didn't want to make like more people go to a farm and, and terror ensues. It was just sort of like, it was to try to do a very different kind of movie. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. I'm curious if anything, I feel like, you know, you have a, a character backstory, but you know, things can, can sharpen and change when you, you know, actually boots hit the ground. Uh, and if anything, from your, like, initial conception of Pearl changed when you di- dove in uh, to write the scripts for this movie? Not really. Like I said, there was a kind of corner of my mind that had this uh, very, like, black and white, austere aesthetic mm-hmm. that was also there. So... That was probably the biggest thing is once we finally agreed to just bail on that, that kind of gave free reign. Nice. But I would say that would be the only thing that was like, there was a, there was a moment in time where if you had, when we were writing the script, if you had asked me what it was, I would have described it like that. And that's a huge departure from what it ended up being. But, you know, it was one of those things that it came together very quickly and it came together very um, specifically. And more or less, like, I didn't, we didn't do any improvising or anything like that. It, it's pretty much what was on the page is what was there. And it's also, it's the kind of movie that you can't really improvise because yeah, it's so yeah. specific that if you didn't fully commit and you didn't stick to it, it it would get wonky really quickly. No, there has there's there's a discipline that's required to tell that kind of a story because the character has to go to such a wild place and we need to be exactly where we need to be along that journey with her. I, I wanted to ask also... I, a tremendous use of sound in this film um, and kind of how we are guided to like dread the things that Pearl dreads um, along the way. What opportunities does doing a character study like this present to you as like a horror director to use sound and use off-screen space to like really um, draw the audience in and freak them out? Well, sound is like incredibly useful just in movies and particularly horror movies because you may only have one image, but you can have 99 tracks of sound. So there's so much that you can do creatively with it that can expand upon what's on screen, that can like create something that you don't see, but you hear. And there's all sorts of fun things like that you can do that make the movie more effective. Um, one of the probably biggest things is when you can kind of put the audience in the space and you can give them a spatial awareness to the movie and that kind of draws you into the story in a way that, you know, a a mono soundtrack without that doesn't necessarily do that. In the case of X, a lot of the sound design was 
about a feeling and about a space and about putting you in this farm and this locale. And it was the contrast between like the quiet to the loud and yeah. things like that. With Pearl, because it was a more psychological story, it was looking for any way to get you inside Pearl's head. So anytime you could give a subjective experience that would bring the audience like into her point of view, um, made the movie better and made you align with her a little bit more. And so you try to do that from a performance standpoint, you try to do it from an editing standpoint, you try to do it from a photography standpoint, but you also really try to do it from a sound design standpoint. And you, you look for ways to be like, okay, we're hearing something, but we're hearing it the way she's hearing it. And that's that's getting us in her headspace. No, and I love that this film is so able to make her subjective experience like kind of an antagonist for her. Like, you know, there's that flash in in the field where she's with the scarecrow and suddenly sees the projectionist's face. Um, and it's it's horrifying. And we we get a glimpse of like how terrifying it is to be in her own mind. Is is that kind of what guided the moments where it gets fantastic and uh, a little bit unreal uh, or, you know, is stuff like the I, I've been referring to it in my notes as kind of like the horror-rama of, of the way that the end is treated um, uh, coming from like a different storytelling impulse. I think all the stuff in the first half is sort of leading to that. Mm-hmm. And it was always meant to be that like as she takes bigger chances in life and as the stakes get larger in the story and as her dreams come closer to the surface um, that we were just going to get, you know, big with with the story and big with the with the aesthetic and and with her with her perception of the world um, and it was always meant to do that so we could get very big and then the climax could just be a close up and the climax could be like the opposite of that and, and be about what's going on inside her head versus what's going on in this sort of flashy aesthetic of the movie but in order to build to that it's sort of you have to kind of like lay clues to like you know all is not totally right with her in the way that she's experiencing the world or I should say at least not normal to what most of the audience is going to expect. Yeah. So as you start to question her, or you start to see the world the way she sees the world, um, that gives you kind of road to, to like, not unravel, but to just build upon it. No, that makes a ton of sense. Which is wild, because like, the first thing we see her do is kill a goose. Um, so like, the signs are there. <laughs> uh, but it does feel very slow. And it's a very patient movie. And you know, there's the incredible long take of of Pearl uh, talking to her sister-in-law as Harold and and getting wrapped up in that. And it it feels like a very interesting choice to make at that point in the movie. I would love, I'm curious for you to to talk about that we sort of have like this emotional climax before she picks up the axe and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the idea was to, to have a movie that was larger than life aesthetically but to look for a way for the climax in the movie to be like a very internal thing. And, you know, X was also a movie that I thought a big driving purpose for me making it was to really highlight the craft of filmmaking and all the different various crafts of filmmaking from performance to direction to editing to music to sound design to, you know, costume design, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and Pearl was really no different. And so it was a more formal type of filmmaking and, a, as you said, a disciplined type of filmmaking um, but it was a very performance-driven movie, and it felt like the climax of the movie had to be about Pearl. It couldn't be Pearl doing something. It had to be about what Pearl, who Pearl was and what she was feeling and what she was going through. And so it just always kind of seemed like if there was a way to make the climax of the movie her revealing how she feels, that would be really interesting. And, and that, that kind of spurred the idea to do this big, giant monologue that would put the weight of the movie on Mia's shoulders. But if she was to pull it off, it would create like this hopefully really effective and amazing scene 
um, a revealing thing about the character and also just a real platform for someone as talented as Mia to like just, you know, really nail it. And that's not that's not always the case in movies is that you have an opportunity like that to do that. And since we were making the movie, it was like, well, we could just create that opportunity to do something like that, to do something really like not impressive, but just so sort of like audacious for an actor to perform. And, and it just happened to line up with what would be good for the movie in this kind. It wasn't like a, a showy thing for no reason. And so that was the goal. And I mean, easier said than done. You know, you have to like write that and then she has to learn that. And for the rest of us, we just have to get out of the way. Yeah. No. And it, it as, as you say, it, it makes complete sense that like at a certain point, the movie just gets out of the way of the character and lets her lets her speak. Uh, it's so cool. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, you talking about You've said a couple times um, that this was like a more formal filmmaking. Uh, did anything change like in your process or like w- were there were there any things that you sort of had to, to kind of pick up and learn going back to this older Hollywood style of filmmaking? Not really, because it comes baked with the idea. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, when I think of an idea for a movie, like I see the movie formed. I don't kind of necessarily like compartmentalize it and put it together I, I just I just see it more or less as it is and then I'm trying to you know recreate sort of what I see in my head so what I mean by it is like you know X had a more like avant-garde approach to the way it was put together and it had a more um, like the camera direction was more modern and was more like effective in the sense that it was trying to tell you the story by the camera moving and the camera showing you certain things and Pearl was more of like, within the blocking, we'll tell you everything. So within the blocking of the where the camera is and how the actors are moving in the space, we will add to the story versus, the you know, like in X, it's very much like you see Jenna Ortega run down the stairs. You don't know the room. She turns on the light, like the camera goes to the light bulb and then reveals something else. And and that's just a different way of, of like using the camera to tell the story. And, and in this more traditional sense, it's more like the camera is sat in one place but Pearl's mother is chopping wood and she's putting wood on the thing and it's blocking Pearl. And then when she hits it with the ax, it reveals Pearl, like doing more like formalistic things like that um, was just fun. I mean, as, as like someone who likes making movies, theoretically, it, um, <laughs> it, it's appealing to get to do that because that wouldn't necessarily work in every movie, but it, it does lend itself to this type of storytelling. It's, it's so fun to sort of see the patterns and when they're broken, like the hierarchy of, of her mom and her dad and, and Pearl at the table that's that's reversed at the, the very, very end. Um, and just like, even if you're not aware of that, you are aware of the the dynamic change and, and, and it means something. Yeah, I'm curious if there's, there's anything like that in sort of choosing camera angles or or building building the rooms uh, of the the set where you were excited to sort of figure out oh we can tell the story this way i mean it was very much like set up to tell the story within the frame and mm-hmm. where like the, the you know how the characters are moving and placed within there so you know it's relatively like basic the way it's photographed. It's just, um, you know, they're sitting at a table and the way they sit at the table tells you who's who in that story. And maybe outside the window is a fake tree type background and it te- and it gives you, a, and the color palette gives you a vibe of the atmosphere of what's going on in this house. And the music is setting the tone for you of like the melancholy of what it feels like to be in this house. And so it was just, you know, always, everything always in any movie, but particularly with this movie, you're always trying to like within the frame, tell as much of the story as you possibly can. Yeah, totally. 
Um, I did want to ask also about like the thing that feels most throwback to me is the score and the way the score works here. How how did did you sort of have that in your head as well that this is this is going to, you know, be such like a, a a big voice in the film or is that something that you kind of like adjusted in post? I'm curious kind of like how you built and used the score as a storytelling tool. Once we committed to the like technicolor inspired aesthetic, mm-hmm. I was I knew we needed an orchestral score and I was a little bit hesitant to bring it up to Tyler because it was going to be a lot more work than he anticipated. Um, but credit to him because he was so excited about it and he was he was so raring to go on it that that it, it ended up being great and I think for him a real like fun collaboration and a fun creative opportunity that maybe doesn't come along. I mean, it's not that often that you say we're going to need like 85 minutes of orchestral music that's going to run throughout this whole movie like a sort of melodrama from a time of filmmaking that no longer exists. And so it became a really fun project and opportunity and, and him and Tim Williams did an amazing job. And that was the plan from the beginning of putting the movie together and, and they did it all, inclu- writing it, recording it, mixing it, everything in like two months. It was really a remarkable like it was remarkable what they did and it was it was great and so every time they would send it to me it was so exciting to put it up against the picture and have it really you know become like its own character which is what you always hope the score does but in this movie it even to people who aren't thinking about that you can't help but notice it no absolutely the final thing i wanted to ask you about was uh the credits and kind of i'm curious where where that came from and kind of why why you chose uh to, to end Pearl's journey there? Well, the plan was really to end the movie with, you know, as it does with Howard coming home and her, you know, doing her best to say that she could, you know, live a certain kind of life forever. Mm-hmm. We know if you've seen X that that, the, you know, uh, crumbles, it crumbles eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the plan was to basically have her smile and in the midst of this, I don't know, forced smile, find a moment of sadness in there and freeze frame it. And roll the credits. And that's because the movie opens with a freeze frame of her feeding the goose to the alligator. And it felt like a good way to bookend that. And so when we sat up to set up to shoot that, I don't know why I had the idea, but I just had this random idea that I was like, hey, so this is the plan. We're going to do a freeze frame and whatever. I was like, but I can do that wherever. And it might be kind of fun to do like an organic freeze frame where you just hold the smile as long as you can. And so... If you're down, I think we should just try that and see what happens. And once I feel like I have enough to find the freeze frame, um, we'll cut and that'll be that. And we should be fine. And Mia was like, okay, that's interesting. I'll give it a whirl. And so we set up, we framed it up and, you know, we shot that and that's what happened. And I just let it go for like three minutes and watched her in the same way an audience sees the movie, that scene for the first time. I was watching it like on the monitor for the first time. And after about three minutes, I said cut and I just was like, that's amazing. That's going to be the end credits. And we only did it that one time. And that was it. It was like, we just did that once. And I was like, this is great. This will be the end credits. And it was just amazing in its own right. And it felt like the proper tribute to Pearl and to her performance as Pearl. But it also was the thing that would kind of bridge the gap towards where X was going to be. Even once you get to the end credits, the, the, the music from X takes comes in towards the end of the end credits. So it was for a movie that was a standalone and was always meant to be a standalone um, outside of little, you know, Easter eggs here and there um, and thematic elements. That was the only moment that was like, okay, this is the end of the movie. We're going to slowly find a way to infer what the future looks like for her. 